Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. Yeah, it's interesting because when we talk about even having that offer out, uh, the one attempt that we heard uh, that you answered was... Out of all those years, I advertised it for years. All those years, one guy. Dr. Tommy Ice tried it, and he tried with saying that the apostasia in Second Thessalonians, right, are away. gathering together to him, and the great falling away that everyone falling would reference apostasia. and point in as a cross-reference to what Jesus said, that there will be a great falling away it makes it very clear but that that apostasia was actually the rapture yeah. which made absolutely no sense and that was from nowhere that was nowhere debater. found in the early church and by the way they wouldn't have that view because that now an apostasia was only understood in the early church history i'm talking about the first few centuries of church history and in the canon of scripture whether it's septuagint is four usages in joshua 22 22 acts 21 21 second thessalonians Four times in the Septuagint, Old Testament, but I'll just mention Joshua 22, 22. And in the New Testament, uh, we see it in Acts 21, 21, where Paul's being accused of causing people to apostatize or forsake Moses. And in 2 Thessalonians 2, Paul uses it, uses it in contrast to the rapture, saying, Are we gathered together to him? The rapture will not happen until the apostasia happens first. If Paul is calling it, it means the rapture is the apostasia, we have contradiction. Paul will be saying, concerning Christ coming, I'll be gathered together to him, the rapture. That day of being raptured won't happen until the rapture happens first. Makes no sense at all. And by the way, that word apostasia, that noun is used uniformly for centuries before and after Paul's usage there of spiritual defection or political revolt or leaving establishment. It's never used, and if it is, maybe once of, of physical spatial departure anywhere. So it's, so it's just that, that argument is so weak. And uh, uh, the other thing I would say is there was one other guy that did try to take try to get that money when it was available. Uh, uh, and that was a brother who came up to the front of the church and said, you know what, I think I have a scripture that might work. And we looked at it and he said, yeah, I know, it doesn't work. And he said, plus I'm post-trib anyways. I was just trying to get the 10000 <laughs> yeah, I know. I knew it was post-trib when he came up. I'm like, what are you doing, Rex? No, it, it's no, it's interesting because one of the things is, um, you know, I even had family that was pre-trib, and I said, hey, just give me one verse. Uh, and in fact, when we were filming at the um, the concert that we, we did some filming at, asking the $10,000 question for anyone that could give us a verse that proved the pre-tribulation rapture, um, I asked, hey, did you ever figure it out? We, You know, you've gotten some time. She's like, nope, it's not there. When, when due diligence was done and just said, I'm going to look at this yeah. and look at all the texts, the First Thessalonians 4, the Revelation 3.10, right? All these verses that are told to us that they're the pre-trib yeah. pre rapture verses. Um, and they looked at it and they just said, wow, you're right. When it came into context and when I understood, I, I recognized that's just not the case. But Yeah, let me piggyback on that real quick. Yeah, sorry. The fact that, Tim LaHaye, <laughs> or the fact that Thomas Ice who's considered like the most formidable of pre-trib teachers by many. Uh, he was Tim LaHaye's right-hand man. The, the fact that he would resort to using apostasia to teach, saying that this is the verse I would use, to, that there's one verse that teaches the pre-trib rapture, shows you how weak, weak the view is. Yeah, he's using no. something that actually speaks of falling away. In fact, the King James translates it, falling away. Most of your translations translate it rebellion, you know? 
Yeah, and, none and of them. None, none of them. No translation. There's. I've seen them, tons of translations. Rapture. Translated yeah. rapture. Yeah, I know. And it's really interesting when you put the context of Second Thessalonians one. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when their relief is going to come, the church, when will the church's relief come? And it will come when he comes with flaming arrows, yeah, right? Mighty, dealing mighty, out mighty retribution. Flaming fire, right? Flaming fire, mighty angels. Uh, dealing out retribution That's and so forth. That's the second forth. coming. The second yeah. coming. And then it says, you know, to not be quickly shaken and so forth in Second Thessalonians chapter 1. So I, I, I point that out and I get you off track, even though these are great things to talk about. I can do that all by myself um, sometimes. Yeah, hey, no, no problem. <laughs> but... I think this is an important time to switch over to the greatest dangers that that we face here. And there will be so many people. There's already people in the comments. I don't believe that. I don't believe that the rapture. I don't believe that the the letters to the churches in the book of Revelation are not for us or not relevant to us. What are you talking about? And I'm a pre-trib rapture believer. We will get into the hyper dispensationalism. We will get into that specific question because we want to deal with the greatest dangers in believing this doctrine and what it can do, dispensationalism specifically, what it can do, those great dangers that come from believing something that's just not in Scripture. Yeah, and we were responding to a question asked by a brother, uh, Gerald, and I talked to him actually last night. He came up after Bible study. Great brother, beautiful worship leader, uh, saying, yeah, he was having a hard time. He's grieved in his heart. He said, and he was sharing Scripture with a brother, and the guy's like, well, Revelation 2 and 3 those don't apply. He goes, you need to study dispensationalism. And I mentioned at the forefront of this show that, uh, you know, most, you know, dispensationalists will affirm that Revelation chapter 2 and 3 apply to the church age, you know. So this would, this is probably a hyper-dispensationalist. He said he, uh, he said he had like 20,000 people on his Instagram site that followed him. So he was just particularly grieved. And I said, yeah, because I knew we were going to deal with this subject. And it was kind of cool that he came up and talked about it because I got to see his heart and he just loves the truth and he hurts for people. Uh, but guess what? After chapter three, you know, uh, chapter you know four specifically six to you know the rest of the book doesn't really apply to the church, and because it's the tribulation period, for not just hyper dispensationalists, but also specifically because we're dealing with them is mainstream dispensationalists because we've been raptured. Therefore, those warnings to persevere and warnings to not take the mark of the beast and so forth, they're not taken as though oh that applies to me because. I'm not going to be here. So definitely that's what we're concerned about. And so it does have a lot of relevance. So we want to speak now to some of the dangers of dispensationalism. And a lot of it does revolve around uh, their teachings regarding, and there's a lot of, lot of even more dangers with hyper-dispensationalism that we'll get into, but their teachings regarding the idea that, you know, you have John Darby looking at Matthew chapter 24, never been set up before in church history that we know of, saying, oh, you know, Matthew 24, it doesn't really, it's not really for the church. And by the way, if you look at Matthew chapter 24 and chapter 24, 5, we're talking about the Olivet Discourse. We're talking about when you put all the scriptures together, that's even longer when you count the verses and you count, you look at uh, Mark 13 and you look at Luke 21, which is also the Olivet Discourse, the same message, and you do a harmony of those three uh, parts of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you put all the verses together, which I've, I've done before, it's longer than the Sermon on the Mount. It's the longest sermon or message that Jesus ever gave. And he gave it to warn the church, Peter, James, John, and Andrew specifically, those who he knew would leave the church. Those he gave it to, he said shortly after that, what I've told you, you teach, you make disciples, you teach them. And he warned them when you see the abomination, the desolation, and the holy place take off. 
So he's saying, you teach this to the disciples that you make. He's talking to the leaders of the, who will be the leaders of the early church, commissioning them not only to win souls, but to disciple them by sharing this message with them, which Jesus felt was so important right before he died. We weren't going to be there. Why would Jesus feel it so important? And why would Jesus say to his apostles, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, when you, personal, plural, pronoun, see the abomination of desolation, stand in the holy place, take off. Why would he say that? But didn't apply to them at all. And when you, 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 he keeps saying, you, you, don't be deceived, many, and so forth. And you'll be hated by all nations because of my name. That's one of the first things he says to them. How would they be hated by all nations because of his name if the rapture just happened and the tribulation just started because it would be an odd event. The church wouldn't be there. Wouldn't apply to them at all. So uh, what breaks my heart is that John Darby basically helped systemize. He's the main systemizer of early on of, of the dispensational system. What he's doing is he's emptying the warnings to the church uh, that are critical that we heed because Jesus said, he that endures to the end, he's talking about the context of enduring your faith because he just said many will fall away right before that, verses 9 through 12. People's love would grow cold. Many The love of many would grow cold and lawlessness would increase and many false prophets would arrive and deceive many and false Christ and so forth. He says, he that endures the end will be saved. In other words, when you're going through this tribulation period, you need to endure in your faith to the end and not fall away to be saved. So he looks at that and says, ah, it doesn't really, it's not really for us this time. Don't, don't, you know, and then, you know, I could say, well, there's one longer message that Jesus did give when I think about it, but I, I was correct in saying it was his longest message while he was on earth, but then he came back, right? Period of the apostle John, a leader in the church, and he gave him the book of Revelation, his longest message ever, okay? Uh, and that was also addressed to the churches. So one of the big problems, one of the big dangers of pre-tribulationism and dispensationalism is the idea that there's no real signs that lead up to the rapture. And it could happen any moment. Therefore, you get a lot of believers just thinking, oh, you know what? When the rapture comes, I'll be caught up. And they're not really watchful, many of them, of the signs that are going on that would herald Christ's second coming because they're not really looking for the second coming. They're looking for, you know, their second coming, which really makes the second coming the third coming. But they're not they're not looking for it as far as signs go because it's a signless coming, most pre-tribs teach. And that's, that's wrong. And by the way, here's another teaching that uh, what makes it so serious is Guess what? If I haven't been raptured, that can't be the Antichrist. This can't be the mark of the beast they're giving me because I'm going to be raptured before the Antichrist comes. Of course, give it to me. I want to buy and sell. Don't take that, man. The number is named. You know what? This can't be the Antichrist, man. There's going to be a lot of turmoil, a lot of pain, and people losing their heads if they don't take the mark of the beast. So there's going to be a lot of false prophets saying, it's okay to take this. And I can show you, and I've shown several people who've done teachings on it, where Tim LaHaye's teaching, Jenkins, uh, Jerry Jenkins, who, who co-wrote the book with him, uh, affirmed that you could take the mark of the beast and you'll never lose the seal of God. You'll still be saved, and many pre-trips teach that. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. Some others, like John MacArthur, says, well, if you've taken it, you can repent later, you know, and, and, and come back. And by the way, many of them are teaching it's second chance. So they're teaching if you miss the pre-trib rapture, guess what? The Lord returns and you miss his first second coming, the first of two second comings, I guess, or second coming before the third coming, guess what? You can repent during the tribulation period, and then you can get bright, and then you'll be ready for the second coming. But that's a false teaching, because if you reject Christ now, the tribulation comes upon us. And the Bible says, those who refuse to love the truth, except Christ now, we're given a strong delusion that they should believe the lie. So it puts people in a state of, well, when I see these things start to happen, you know, then then maybe I'll think about becoming a Christian or a Christian that, well, you know what? I might miss the rapture because I'm backslidden. But guess what? You know, 
I can, you know, because some teach what's called the partial rapture view. You miss the preterm rapture, you can just get right and, and 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 get right for the second coming and catch the next train. That's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, the Bible warns that when Jesus comes back, it's his second time when he comes back. That's it, man. It's all over. There's no second chance after that. So there's a lot of dangers there. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it says, The point of man wants to die, but after this, the judgment. It says in verse 28 that he appeared the first time in reference to our sin, but he will appear a second time, not a second and then a third time, a second time in regard to our salvation. He's talking about our final salvation. So if you're believing and trusting Jesus right now, you've already experienced initial salvation. But as Jesus said, uh, he that dares the end will be saved. That's talking about our final salvation. Paul says our salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. He's talking about our final salvation. Many passages talk about our final salvation and the need to continue in the faith. So it's very, very important that we understand that uh, dispensationalism ends up teaching uh, two more comings of Christ. And if you miss the next one, you have a second chance, which is a lie. Okay. Also, a couple other concerns I have with that second chance idea is when Jesus comes back, he made it very, very clear that if you're not ready, you don't get a second chance. You'll be cut in pieces and thrown to the, in the lake of fire. Luke 12, 46 says, Jesus said, the master of the slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Where's that? Revelation 21, 8 says the unbelieving, right? The cowardly, the unbelieving, abominable murders, whoremongers, sorcerers. Uh, the NASB has cowardly. I think the King James has unbelievers. The, the better translation Greek word is cowardly though. But Jesus is talking about being sentenced with the unbelievers if you miss his coming. You don't have a second chance. We also know uh, that he said, keep your lamps lit in that respect. If your lamps aren't lit, uh, like this servant here, that's what's going to happen to you. In Matthew chapter 25, right after the Olivet Discourse, the first part of the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, he's talking about being ready for his return. What happened to the virgins who ran out of oil? The five that didn't run out of oil and relit their lamps, man, boom, they get into the wedding feast. But guess what? The five who ran out of oil, we read this, and I think it's important. Later, the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. But he answered. Now does he answer and say, just wait until my other coming. No, he says, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, okay? You do not know uh, the day nor the hour. And by the way, not knowing the day and the hour there is not talking about a preacher of rapture because a few verses before this, in verses 29 through 31, that's where Jesus says of his coming that he's talking about here, that he'll come immediately after the tribulation. It's not talking about a preacher of rapture. So this is very, very important. And this is another huge danger of this teaching. This is huge. And anybody who loves God's word and realizes it's important and that we need to heed the promises and warnings that are given to the church, uh, you're going to see this is a, a huge danger. Is The apostle Paul declared that all scripture is from God and is profitable for doctrine. All scripture. What dispensationalists do is they begin setting aside scripture like Matthew 24 and 25. Doesn't apply to me. Luke 21. You know, Mark 13. Uh, Revelation, most of the book of Revelation, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and other passages, prophetic passages that apply to us, even the book of Daniel. So this is very, very important uh, that we get this because guess what? Their tradition, whereby they add a bunch of baggage to these dispensations of time and say, it also means this, these are the implications. There's no implications there that there's a pre-trip rapture. No implications there that there's a kingdom of God and a kingdom of heaven separately or two distinct people for forever in the future. That's all added on to distinct people, yes but not for eternity. Uh, what happens here is when they do that, their tradition begins to nullify God's word. Even as the Pharisees were nullifying God's word and people weren't paying attention to God's word, Jesus uh, said uh, that to the Pharisees, the, the Jewish leaders, I should say, quote, uh, the word of God, you make the word of God of none effect through your tradition. 
So you can have tradition and you can affirm this is the word of God, but your tradition can make it not apply to you and therefore you make it of none effect. And God's onto that. He He sees right through this and he sees what our uh, pre-trib brethren have have been doing. And I'm not saying every pre-tribber is a brother, but I don't believe every pro-tribber is a brother. Okay, God knows the heart. But I do affirm those who hold different views during the rapture as brothers, but I believe as a family, we just sit around the table and talk about it. You know, I've debated it. And I affirm the other person that disagreed with me as a brother. So uh, we need to affirm each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, even though our eschatology is different. But at the same time, I'm going to say, hey, hey, brother, this is really, really serious. And you're going to be, you can be very deceived because you're not really heeding the message of our Father. And when our Lord Jesus comes back, our elder brother, right? When he comes back, you may not be ready for it, okay? And you may be in serious trouble. You may be cut in pieces and thrown with the unbelievers. So I'm going to have a family talk, just like I would with my wife or kids if they were off in some way, but I'd still affirm them as family. So I think this is very, very important. Now, when he says that they, you know, they basically make his word of none effect. Remember, Jesus talked about how the Jewish leaders were setting aside the, the commandment that the children should obey their parents and honor them because they twisted the scripture. And it th- didn't mean they said that scripture's not there anymore. It just didn't apply to them. This is serious stuff because pre-tribs aren't saying, no, those scriptures don't exist. It's kind of like Houdini. Houdini uh, was known for not just being an escape artist, but a great illusionist. And Houdini, uh, he caused Jesse the Elephant at a theater there in New York to just disappear. It's a big deal back then. Today, it's like, that's easy, right? But he caused it to disappear, and people were in awe. Well, our preacher brethren are causing much scripture to disappear. Now, Jesse the Elephant disappeared, didn't disappear, really. She was still there. It's could see her. Uh, these scriptures are still here. They didn't disappear. But guess what? Our preacher brothers and sisters, they don't see them as applying to them. They don't focus on them like, yeah, I need to heed this. Because we're out of here, in their opinion. And if it happens to, you know, we could just hitch the next train. Uh, this is serious, serious stuff. Why? Because in John chapter 15, verse 6, Jesus said, part of verse 6, that I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abides in me, he talks about they'll bear much fruit. You're clean through the word that's spoken to you. We're the branches, we're living, we're in him. But he says, if one doesn't remain in him, meno, he'll be cut off and wither, thrown in the fire and burn. And he goes on to say a little bit later in that chapter that if they persecuted me, the master, how much more are they going to persecute you, the servant? And he warned them that they were going to be put to death thinking they were uh, people killing them, thinking that they were doing God's service by killing them. The Antichrist claimed to be God. You know what Jesus says? That's going into John 16 now. They're going to thinking they're doing God's service by putting you to death. You know what he says to them? I'm telling you these things ahead of time so that when it happens, you will not fall away. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm telling you that you need to abide in the vine and stay there. Let's be caught up and thrown in the fire. You need to recognize you're going to be heavily persecuted because they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. And that it's going to be so serious that they're going to be killing you. And that you, I'm telling you these things ahead of time. Why, he says? So that you won't experience scandalizo in the Greek. You won't fall away. And that's heavy. Think about that. Now, when you go to all the discourse, and Jesus says all these deceptions are going to take place during the tribulation period, and all this persecution is going to take place, and he says, I'm telling you these things ahead of time. He says it again. Matthew 24, 24, and 25. He says, Behold, false Christ and false prophets will arise, showing great signs and wonders, deceiving, if possible, even the very elect. Behold, I've warned you in advance. He said, I'm telling you about these things happening in advance. Why did he tell us in advance? John chapter 16. So what happens, you will not fall away. Well, guess what? This is heavy, man. In Matthew 24, it talks about when these things happen, it says many will fall away. Wait a minute, what's going on there? Where's the discontinuity? Jesus says he's telling us these things so they won't, we won't fall away. 
How are they falling away? He said, that's these, he revealed these things would happen, so he'll fall away. He revealed them, so we warned. He says, behold, I've warned you in advance, so you will not fall away. Well, then you tell a bunch of people, millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of professing Christians, these really aren't for you. God would never let you go through that time. Guess what you've just done? You've taken away the very warnings that God gave them to make sure they endure to the end. You say, he that endures to the end will be saved. You've taken them from them, saying, once you're saved, you're always saved. Even if you take the mark of the beast, you'll, but don't worry, you won't be here. That won't be the Antichrist. If we take a mark now, uh, the rapture is going to come first before the real mark of the beast. And by the way, uh, these warnings don't apply to us, so people don't take them to heart. In fact, you know what they say over and over and over again? Like Tim LaHaye, if Jesus doesn't come back in a preacher of rapture, the blessed hope is no longer the blessed hope, it's the blasted hope. They're setting people up for a fall. So when the no pre-trib rapture takes place, it's a classic non-event, and we go into tribulation, guess what? Tim LaHaye has taught people, the hope is blasted now. No, Jesus said, when you see these things take place during the tribulation period, look up for your redemption is drawing nigh. In other words, we're supposed to have greater hope when we see these things. Do you see how this is a very, very dangerous teaching? I call it a recipe for apostasy. The teaching that you don't have to persevere in the faith, and the teaching that, by the way, guess what? We're not going to be here anyway. And so this is very, very important because you can, by your tradition, set aside Scripture. And that's specifically, Chad, what... And you might want to look up Revelation 22, 18, 19, if you could read that. Uh, this is a specific warning that we get in the book of Revelation regarding not trifling with God's Word. And you can mess with His Word, as I've already demonstrated, not by just eliminating it and saying it's not there, but by interpreting it out of applicable, ex applicable existence. Yeah, it says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to them the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. I want to get us to the warnings, because when people are saying that these warnings, and that was the context of the question, for you guys who are asking on there, we've had a number of people ask, hey, what happened to the the topic of are these warnings relevant to us? Which we've been talking about Which now. we've been but talking about. Specifically the book of Revelation. But now. specifically, and specifically to the, the warnings that are given to the churches in chapters 2 and chapter 3. Because this is important for us to understand, because it is very interesting that, that so often Revelation 3.10 will be used, but the warnings are set aside. And so what we want to do is read from them first, because as I said, we wanted to give a theological answer from Scripture, but to understand the theology of those who purport that you know, a lot of these things, as you mentioned, Matthew 24 and so forth, are not for us. This is just the time of Jacob's trouble. This is for Israel. It's not for us and so forth. So they say, yeah. And so they say. But we want to look at also the book of Revelation because, as we said, you may say, well, I don't believe that. The fact is that somebody, as you mentioned, with over 20,000 followers on Instagram, is telling people that dispensational theology, at least his version, teaches that the book of Revelation is not relevant to you at all. And so we want to read from these texts and say, wait, are these texts relevant to us? And so I have chapters 2 and 3 open if you want me to start reading from some of the church well, warnings. What I would or, do, Chad, is, and first of all, the reader, keep in mind, uh, the reader, uh, we when we talk about Revelation 2 and 4, I want to be... 2 uh, and 3, yeah. Uh, Revelation 2 and 3, we want to be faithful and not bear false witness at all. God forbid that's never our heart. We don't want to misrepresent mainstream dispensationalism. Yeah, amen. They will say Revelation 2 and 3 definitely 
apply to the church in some way. Typically, they'll say that, even though sometimes, they'll, often times they'll say it's different church parts of the church age, but they'll say it refers to the church. So I want to say most mainstream dispensationalists will not say those passages don't apply. However, many of them, most will say they don't apply in regard to salvation uh, because many will say in the free grace movement, well, not all, all will say in the free grace movement, but many of them will say that, uh, you know, it's just losing rewards here. It's not, it not have anything to do with eternal life. In fact, I've got a book I've worked a little bit through by a free grace guy who's like, oh yeah, these are just losing rewards and so forth. Woo, man, that's, so these are dispensationalists that when it comes to their view of soteriology, uh, they'll be jacked up with regard to the warnings. In fact, most dispensationalists are jacked up with regard to their soteriology, not just their eschatology, regard to the warnings, they don't take them seriously. But So what I'd like to do is go a little deeper. We'll hit some of these warnings real quick in the church, but we want to go back to the dispensationalists because when they say, the mainstream, because when they say the rest of the book of Revelation doesn't apply to them, that's serious stuff because there's a lot of warnings about persevering at that time, which they don't believe applies to the church. So we'll get into both. All right, perfect. Well, you could, I, would, I would start with Revelation 2, 4, and 5, personally, bro, and yeah, then chapter 3, fine. verses 9 through 11. Okay, well, here this is the angel uh, of the of the church in Ephesus, right? To the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? And it goes through the deeds and toils and so forth. But then in verse 4 it says, But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of its place Unless you repent. So this is a clear warning. Yep. And the context is, Chad, you know, where is Jesus in relation to the lampstands when you first see him? He walks among. He walks. But yeah. he's going to remove them from his presence. Yeah. And then the next church, the suffering church, that's the church at Ephesus there, the church of Smyrna. They're a suffering church. They're going to have tribulation 10 days. But he gives them a very strong warning with a promise if they persevere in their faith. Yeah. And I think Verses that's 9 through 11. 9 through 11. But I also, I have to read you can. the end of the church of Ephesus. It says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise, which is in the paradise of God. Now, I want to point that out first of all because the Book of Revelation, as far as I'm concerned, outside of maybe Psalm one, talking about just meditating on God's word day and night, but specific to a book, the Book of Revelation, we are told specifically that we are given a blessing for reading and heeding this book. And so when I am told I'm given a blessing for reading and heeding this book, when I see these warnings and the blessings and I read from both of them and then every single time it addresses one of these churches, it says, anyone who has an ear, let him hear what the Amen. Spirit says to seven churches. That's refrain seven times. Do you have ears? I know I do. Yeah. And and it's listen or read, and right? Who's in the very looking beginning. at it, not believers so much, it's the church. Yeah, and it's interesting it's to too, just an yeah. uh, anecdotal uh, remark here. The fact is, is that when we look at these churches and how they're actually aligned, in that time, it actually would be a way that somebody would come from the island of Patmos, and if they were going church to yeah. church, it would be the route that they would take Absolutely. is the order of these yeah. seven churches, True. not necessarily age. Not that God couldn't move something around and, and literally have it that way specific for the age and know where those churches could be in his sovereignty, but that is an interesting anecdote to look at. Yeah, well. and let's look really briefly, Chad, just read verses 9 through 11 where he's yeah. warning this suffering church here about they better persevere, they're going to lake a fire. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested, and you will have tribulation for ten days, but be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. You as an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. 
It's very clear. If they persevere, right? If they don't deny their faith, they, you know, praise God, they won't be hurt by the second death. And if they overcome, uh, they will, they praise God. They're not going to be hurt by the second death. So he says, be faithful to death and I'll give you the crown of life. The Greek is the crown which is life. And then if you overcome, you won't be hurt by the second death, the lake of fire. It's obviously clear. And it's for, as you mentioned, Chad, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, which comes all, every seven times, which I think is very important to point out. I had that outline or emphasized in my, my notes as well, because it applies, these apply to the churches, these warnings, and they are salvific warnings, and they're applied to believers. He's not saying come to Jesus so, you know, uh, you'll have received the crown of life. He's saying be faithful. Be faithful to what you already are. You're Christian until death. That's very clear. Return to your first love, the other church you're reading. Now, they had this, oh, they were never saved in the first place. No, they left their first love, it says. You know, repent and do the things you did at first, right? Uh, and then you, let's read just a couple more, just briefly. If you yeah. could read Revelation 3, 4, and 5, which talks about this is the church, by the way, who's received, and, they, and they're, they're, they're now their name only, and they're dead, and string that which is ready to, re, ready to die. That remains, so they're not totally dead, but they're almost dead. And then they've soiled their garments, some of, many of them. And then verses 4 and 5, you can read verse 4 and 5. Yeah, and I just want to point out, I'll, I'll read from chapter 3. Yeah. Um, we're skipping a couple of the churches, but hopefully we're belaboring the point for a reason. Because we want to get into the rest of Revelation. Because we got to get in the rest of Revelation. And the fact is, is that you're going over the blessings and the curses because what takes place when we read from these and you say don't, they don't apply to us, what you do over and over again, whether or not, and you already uh, you had us read Revelation 22, the, the end of the chapter, 18 and 19, specifically, what you do to the warnings is you make those warnings impotent they and useless. Them. That's what they do over and over again. And what are the promises? Can you imagine if most churches, the pastors started preaching right from Revelation 2 and 3 and saying, look, man, you got to be faithful to death or you're going to lake a fire. And, and, you know, Revelation 13 or 3 later, we won't get into a church of Laodicea, though. You know, if you don't, if, you know, you're rich and, you know, you, you say you're in need of nothing, you know, much of the American church. But if you don't get right, he says he's going to spit you out of his mouth. You're going to have people walk out with saucers. And you might even have, and you probably would have, all kinds of people repent. But that just doesn't fit in because people don't want to hear it. But that's what we preach, man. The full counsel of God right off the pages of Scripture. And, yeah, so... Three, four, and five would be great. Amen. I don't want blood on my hands. I know that. Amen. Uh, four and five. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Because Jesus said if we confess him before men, he'll confess us before the Father, right? And and hear angels as well. And if we deny him before men, he'll deny us before the Father. And Titus 1.16 says, by their works they deny him. So you can deny him by living a wicked life. And they many of them were in that church, most of them were, soiling their garments. And there were few that hadn't soiled their garments. And if they overcome... They will walk with him in white, right? He'll confess their names before the Father and with the angels, and he will not erase their names. He'll confess them instead of erase them. And by the way, only believers, genuine believers, get their names written in the book of life. We've proved that before because non-believers read Revelation 13.8 and Revelation 17.8. Their names were never written in the book of life. So it's important to understand, by the way, if they overcome, what does it mean to overcome? You have to overcome. Revelation 12, 11 says they overcame him, meaning Satan, by the blood of the Lamb. It's through the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection for us. And also, but it mentions two other things. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. That's our confession, our trust in Jesus. Amen. And guess what? Then you have number three. And they did not love their lives to the point of death, meaning they persevered in the faith and they didn't renounce their faith. 
And that's what the Lord calls you to do. And things are going to get harder. You need to know these things. You know what Scripture says? Because he warned that it's those who overcome, and those are the ones who are faithful to death, that are putting trust in Jesus and continue their confession. Under the point of death, it's their names that aren't erased, but are confessed. These are, these are such important passages. And by the way, a lot of people don't even look at the book of Revelation because it's irrelevant to them, you know, because the preterists don't, oh, it's already been fulfilled in 70 AD, which is one of the biggest lies in the church right now. And our preacher brethren, who actually, yeah, it's future, they got that right, but it just doesn't really apply to me, you know. So why look at it unless I look at it like it's a movie because I'm going to be seeing it as real life only when I'm partying in heaven for seven years, which the Bible doesn't teach as well. So what I'd like to do, Chad, now is because they basically set aside the entire book yeah, of Revelation. Yeah, we already got to the churches and whether or not this is relevant to us. And I hope that when you read Revelation 1, 2, and 3, I hope that at the very least at this point, and we've already added another half hour, but we only got about nine minutes or so okay, left. Okay, I am going to. So I'm going to let you go. I did, we went through chapter 1, verse 1 to the very end of chapter 22 in an hour. I can't believe we did it, you know. But uh, everybody's betting against me, or a lot of people were, and we did it by the grace of God. So I can get through this, hopefully, in less than nine minutes, maybe nine minutes, so All right. to the end. Uh, we'll try to persevere to the end, right? Yeah, we so, wanted to answer that question. That was one of the reasons we wanted to make sure, right. even though we added that extra time to make sure we're here with you guys, we want to right. add this time so you can get to it. Right, so. and, and I would just piggyback on that question to say the guy that told you Revelation 2 and 3 aren't relevant to the church today, he doesn't represent mainstream, as I mentioned, dispensationalism, right. but he represents maybe you know a, a branch of hyper-dispensationalism. But guess what? Mainstream dispensationalism, that's more important than that we even get in these other passages, but those are very important warnings directly to the church that some are setting aside. But the rest of the warnings in Revelation that pertain to the church, mainstream dispensationalists are setting them aside as not being warnings to the church that we don't really have to heed. Now, Chad already alluded to and quoted, actually, Revelation 1.3. You know, blessed is he that reads the book of this prophecy, reads, hears, and keeps the words of this prophecy. So you don't just read and hear, you've got to keep them. Now, who is he calling not to just read and hear, but to keep? It can't be the church, because we're not going to, we can read and hear, we can have fun with and everything, and make movies and write novels about it and so forth. But you know what? We don't have to heed it, because we're not going to be here. Woo! Look at the very next verse. Look at verse 4. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. And then we get to 2 and 3, as Chad emphasized wonderfully. So wait, you're saying that the churches in Asia that he's writing to are told that they're blessed for reading and heeding. Reading, hearing, and The churches, not just just Israel, not just Jacob's trouble. So it doesn't say just the first couple chapters. (laughs) Read, hear, and heed, okay, to the churches. And not just the seven churches, Chad, because as you mentioned in Revelation 2 and 3, you have that refrain or that constant rejoinder, he that has a... You're letting hear what the Spirit, spirit says. says. I mean, we're supposed to look at what he's saying in those churches. Say, hey, I got to look at it and say, hey, man, does any of this apply to Blessed Hope Chapel? You know, do we have, are we in name only? Are we actually shining the light of Jesus and witnessing? You know, are, uh, and are we suffering and going to give in our faith and teaching easy believism? No. Okay. We, but I have to heed him all the time for my own walk as a pastor Amen. in the church. Revelation 1 4, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Okay. Revelation 22. Now, these are like bookends, man, beginning and end of the book. And you go to the very end of the book, Revelation 22, 16 and 17. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify you these things for the churches. Not for Israel, for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star, the spirit and the bride. The spirit and the bride. The bride is the church. Say, come, right? And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. So at like bookends, this is addressed to the church. We're not reading something when somebody else's mail. In fact, if you're not in the church and you're reading this, then, you know, praise God. You, you Hopefully you'll wake up and come to the Lord. But this book is primarily for the church, given by Jesus to the Apostle John, one of the leaders of the early church. And you know what? Uh, now check this out. 
who is this great multitude that no man can number during the tribulation period uh, that have been slain and, and beheaded and killed because they refuse to take the mark of the beast and so forth? Well, Revelation 7, 13 and 14, it's not unbelieving Jews. Verse 13 and 14, it says, Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in white robes, who are they and where have they come from? I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out, meaning they were in it, come out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Chad, this is great multitude, it says, that no one can number from every nation, kindred, people, and tongue. They see come out of the great tribulation period, and they are cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Does that sound like just anybody, or does that sound like a certain group on the earth right now? Yeah, it sounds like the church. It sounds like the church. In fact, if you were trying to find verses that describe the church, that would be one of the passages that would best describe it. People from every nation, kindred, people, and tongue. How would you describe the church today? People from every nation, kindred, people, and tongue that have been evangelized, that have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. Yeah, that's what he's talking about, the church there. And by the way, in Revelation chapter 12, they overcome by the blood of the Lamb. That's not non-believers, this is the church. Oh yeah, but, 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 but you know what? The church has already been taken seven years, you know, before the tribulation period and before that, that last seven years. Where? It's not there. The church is being addressed here. In fact, you know what? In Revelation chapter 1, I think it's interesting. He doesn't say, hey, watch, don't worry. This doesn't pertain to you. There's going to be a secret rapture. You're going to be taken out of here. You don't got to worry about this. Just sit back and say, ooh, glad I'm out of there. No, he doesn't say that. You know what he says? Revelation 1, 7, chapter 1 again. Behold, he comes with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kings there shall wail because of him even so. Amen. He is drawing our attention not to some secret pre-trib, get out of suffering and get the free ticket to heaven while everybody else suffers to heaven deal. No, he's giving us a very, very clear uh, uh, admonition. We're looking forward to the second coming, which Jesus said every eye would see, which the scriptures say every eye would see, which Jesus said we would like lightning shining from the east to the west and would take place immediately after the tribulation period. Now, this is critical because I'm losing my nine minutes quick. I probably only got three or four left. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 7, it's speaking of the Antichrist. It says it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. So he's going to overcome the saints. Who are the saints? You might back up just a few verses to Revelation 12, 17. After Satan cannot get the woman, which is Israel, and Israel has been restored to the land, and he goes after the woman who gives birth to the man-child, and it was Israel that gave birth to the man-child, and, she can, and she, he protects her in the wilderness. Guess what happens? He can't get her. So then who does he go after? Us. Read Revelation 12, 17. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Read Galatians chapter 3 a couple different times. It talks about how Gentile believers are the offspring of Abraham and that we're children of God through faith, that we're offspring of Abraham. It says, those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. Who is it that has the testimony of Jesus? Christians. And by the way, they hold fast to God's commands. They're not antinomians. And some, many, I'm sorry, it's true, Many of those that subscribe to, uh, not all of them, but many of those that subscribe to mainstream uh, dispensationalism, they don't heed the warnings on, regarding salvation. We talked about that earlier. And they're not into necessarily obeying what Jesus taught and his commands and his heartbreaking. Not all of them. There's many godly people that hold to uh, mainstream dispensationalism. No, but I'm just saying it's a problem. Well, guess what? In Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, it talks about those who would be killed with the sword, be killed with the sword, those who, because it goes on to talk about this war against the saints. It talks about... Uh, those who are to go into captivity will go into captivity. You know what he says? Then he says this, okay? And this is in verse 10. If anyone was going to captivity, in captivity they will go. If anyone was to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. Then listen, this calls, this calls, because it's going to happen to the saints, the believers in Jesus, this calls for endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Wow. 
Hmm. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Hmm. Interesting. Revelation. Well, guess what? That's not the best translation because that's the NIV there. And when it says God's people, the Greek word there is hagias. And that's typically translated what, Chad? Hagias is saints, right? Saints. Well, who Holy are the ones, saints? Yeah. Oh, the saints must not be the believers in Jesus. Well, we just saw he went after these, going after those that have the name of Jesus on them. I mean, who hold fast their testimony of Jesus just before that, Revelation 12, 17. Are you sure it's not talking about the church? Well, maybe believers in Jesus, but not the church, not the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ is not the saints in Revelation. Oh, yeah? The bride of Christ is the saints in Revelation. The bride of Christ is the saints in Revelation. In fact, let me read Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 and 8, just before Christ's second coming at Armageddon. After the tribulation, it says, Let us rejoice just before that. Let us be joyous and be glad and give glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. There it is. The bride is on the earth before Christ's second coming in verse 11, just a few verses later. Well, it says bride, but you're equating the bride with the saints. Yeah, absolutely. Because listen to the next verse. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. The saints are the bride. The bride are the saints. The saints are going to be persecuted by the Antichrist. The bride is the church. Revelation 14, 9 through 11. It warns, a third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink of the wine of God's fury. That's anyone. That's anyone, guys. If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives the mark on their forehead or on their hand, we see what's going on with COVID right now. We're not saying that's the mark of the beast, but you can see this coming, man. Verse 10, they too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength in the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the lamb. Now listen to this, verse 11. And the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. Now verse 12, this is to you and me. This applies to us. If Antichrist comes in our time, we better heed this warning. You better be prepared even now. Verse 12, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God or the saints who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Wow, this is so important, brothers and sisters. I'm going to read this again. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God or the Haggai, the saints, who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. How do I keep his commands? I don't take the mark of the beast. How do I keep his commands? I keep following Jesus, man. And then I'm faithful. Just what Jesus said in Matthew 24. Be, you know, what did he say in Matthew chapter 24? He that endures the end will be saved. That's what he's saying right here. Just like you referenced, Chad, when you were reading the letters to the churches. Be faithful to death and I will give you the crown of life. So when you want to just continue, you just want to reject these teachings, you're rejecting teachings that was given by Lord Jesus Christ to his church. This is serious stuff, man. And you're doing it based on a Johnny-come-lately doctrine. And my heart breaks for you because if you're just going to ignore all these based on something you heard, but you can't see clear in Scripture because you want to believe it, I pray, I beg God, Father God, in Jesus' name, help them wake up before these things come upon them because it's not just you. You influence other people in the body and you want to encourage them according to the truth. And I'm going to read one last verse, verse 13. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you guys for, for checking in with us and make sure you check out all the things we're going to leave in the description as well that regarding this issue. God bless we you We love all. you guys. Press on. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, 
please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.